The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 206. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan. You can find all of those social media buttons if you go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. You can give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook and a free audiobook, Forgotten Founders. Audiobook is read by yours truly. So go out there and get that. You won't get excessive amount of emails from me, maybe a couple times a week. So it's worth your time. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. You can enroll there for free. It's always free of charge. And people that do enroll get the best deals on forthcoming classes. I have five classes available for purchase at this point. Uh, but you can uh, get in there for free. And, of course, I do have a new class coming out in the spring, Reconstruction and Recreation. It's part two of my class on the War for Southern Independence. So you're going to want to get that class, but you're going to get the best deal if you are a McClanahan Academy subscriber. Uh, also, of course, you can purchase those classes. Five for sale, the War uh, for Southern Independence, American Constitutions. I've got one on secession, one on the Declaration, and one on Alexander Hamilton. So all that's there. Great stuff. College-level courses. Uh, for a fraction of the price, so you can uh, enroll in those classes and, and get uh, constitutionally educated, as I like to say. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Anything you do contribute is greatly appreciated. And you can also go to redbubble.com, where you can pick up your Brian McClanahan Show gear with my logo on it. Uh, so you can get uh, electronic uh, skins for electronic devices, T-shirts, stickers, all, wall plates, clocks, all kinds of cool stuff. And I do want to say one thing about that logo on a very somber note. The individual who designed that logo uh, passed away very suddenly on uh, Sunday this, this past week. And so um, he and his family were homeschooler, homeschoolers. He leaves a young family behind. And so uh, if you um, are, are a person who, who prays for those uh, who are in need, please pray for his family. Uh, they are going to need some some help in in the coming days in this very tragic situation. So uh, my logo is fantastic. Uh, he was a great graphic artist, and uh, he's going to be sorely missed by his family and, and his uh, church community and those that knew him. Okay, all that said, let's talk about the State of the Union, uh, because this was the big event yesterday. Of course, I, I did a, a live stream uh, for the <clears throat> just before the State of the Union, and uh, it was on Albert Taylor Bledsoe's Davis a Trailer, and so that uh, Davis a Trader, excuse me. And that uh, that's those sessions. I'm going to do two more. Uh, if you subscribe to my YouTube page, you can you can get them. You'll get a notification when they're upcoming. Uh, but I've got two more next two Tuesdays, and so you want to come on live on Tuesday nights at eight o'clock and get that. Also, a week from tonight, I'll be doing a live Q and A with uh, with Tom Woods for his uh, Liberty Classroom. Uh, you can subscribe to Liberty Classroom as well through my affiliate link, learntruehistory.com, learntruehistory.com, and uh, you can get in on that. So that's a, it's a great website, a lot of uh, great material. But I'll be on live next Wednesday as well uh, for that Q&A. But I want to talk about this debacle of the State of the Union. When I say debacle, it's not the State of the Union address. I, first of all, if you expect a lot of substance from the State of the Union addresses now, you're expecting something that will never happen. Uh, the State of the Union addresses are designed to be consumed by those who have about an eighth grade education. Uh, that's on purpose. I mean, the, the if you look at the uh, the level 
uh, education level that's required to understand the State of Union addresses, it's decreased year after year after year. And that's because we now have speechwriters writing these things. Uh, they're designed to reach the lowest common denominator. Anyone can understand them. And all the pauses, and they bring out all the people. Look at this person, and look at this person. Uh, there's a, there was a few good you know, zingers in the, in the State of the Union, a few good one-liners. A few times that Trump said some things that were pretty important about foreign policy. And, of course, uh, some of the other policy prescriptions. But outside of that, um, it it was as vanilla as you can get uh, with slogans and platitudes. I mean, this is what we expect out of the State of the Union. And then, of course, you have all the nonsense that goes on in the Congress, the the clapping, the standing and clapping, uh, the the women uh, who are all wearing white. And Peggy Noonan actually had the best tweet where she said, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez looked like a teenager. They did. All of these women— uh, look like wearing their white. Look like a bunch of teenagers who are defiant because their daddy's telling them something to do something they don't want to do. Nancy Pelosi sitting back there with an electronic device, ignoring Trump. Uh, the little teenagers out in the audience in their little white shirts. Ooh, daddy said I can't go here. Daddy said I can't do this. Daddy said I can't do that. So I'm going to show them. I'm I'm going to show them I'm defiant. I mean, it makes you look like you're in a state of arrested development, which, as I've said many many times. Most Americans are, which is why we have such juvenile politics, which is why the Congress is like your uh, you know, high school debate club or your high school uh, student government. I mean, this is essentially what's happened. We, we've devolved into a situation where the Congress has become high school. And uh, it's, it's sad. And one thing that Trump did say, look, he wants to work with these people. I mean, that's fine and, and dandy, but these people aren't going to work with him. So uh, it really doesn't matter because why? They're defiant. It, it, even if the policy was something that they really believed in, at this point, they're not going to do it because even if they said they would do it before, they're not going to do it now because their daddy said they wanted to do it. I mean, that's really what we've got here. It's that you've got this this uh, break between the two because of this uh, state of arrested development. So uh, the State of the Union was what you would expect, which is why in so many ways we probably need to get, I mean, look, not probably, we do need to get rid of this thing. We need to go back to the written annual message. Trump can make a speech. Um, it, it is fun to to see all the members of Congress acting like a bunch of you know teenage spoiled little brat teenagers uh, because it does expose what they really are and and all the mature people in America saw it um, now of course unfortunately that's about half the population uh, so but regardless uh, the State of the Union is uh, something that uh, can be done away with and I've said this before many times but I did want to uh, provide a real State of the Union address. And I'm going to read this to you. And so bear with me because it's about a little over 2,000 words. So it's, it's, it's going to take me about 20 minutes to read it. But I wanted to read it to you because this is a real State of the Union. This is what President Trump should have done, should have said. Uh, and so I'm going to read this to you, and I hope you enjoy it. But we're going to uh, – so just, just bear with me. The Constitution devised by our forefathers as the framework and bond of that system, then untried, has become a settled form of government not only preserving and protecting the great principles upon which it was founded, but wonderfully promoting individual happiness and private interests. Though subject to change and entire revocation whenever deemed inadequate to all these purposes, yet such is the wisdom of its construction and so stable has been the public sentiment that it remains unaltered except in matters of detail comparatively unimportant. It has proved amply sufficient for the various emergencies incident to our conditions as a nation. A formidable foreign war, agitating collisions between domestic and, in some respects, rival sovereignties, temptations to interfere in the intestine commotions of our neighboring countries, the dangerous influences that arise in periods of excessive prosperity, 
and the anti-Republican tendencies of associated wealth. These, with other trials not less formidable, have all been encountered and thus far successfully resisted. It was reserved for the American Union to test the advantages of a government entirely dependent on the continual ex exercise of the popular will, and our experience has shown that it is as beneficent in practice as it is just in theory. Each excessive change made in our local institutions has contributed to extend the right of suffrage, has increased the direct influence of the mass of the community, given greater freedom to individual exertion, and restricted more and more the powers of government. Yet the intelligence, prudence, and patriotism of the people have kept pace with this augmented responsibility. In no country has education been so widely diffused. Domestic peace has nowhere so largely reigned. The close bonds of social intercourse have, have in no instance prevailed with such harmony over a space so vast. All forms of religion have united for the first time to diffuse charity and piety, because for the first time in the history of nations all have been totally untrammeled and absolutely free. The deepest recesses of the wilderness have been penetrated, yet instead of the rudeness and the social condition consequent upon such adventures elsewhere, numerous communities have sprung up already unrivaled in prosperity, general intelligence, internal tranquility, and the wisdom of their political institutions. Internal improvements, the fruit of individual enterprise, fostered by the protection of the states, has added new links to the Confederation, fresh rewards to provident industry. Doubtful questions of domestic policy have been quietly settled by mutual forbearance, and agriculture, commerce, and manufacturers minister to each other. Taxation and public debt, the burdens which, so bear which bear so heavily upon all other countries, have pressed with comparative lightness upon us. Without one entangling alliance, our friendship is prized by every nation, and the rights of our citizens are everywhere respected, because they are known to be guarded by united, sensitive, and watchful people. To this practical, practical operation of our institutions, so evident and successful, we owe that increased attachment to them which is among the most cherished exhibitions of popular sentiment and will prove their best security in time to come against foreign or domestic assault. This review of the results of our institutions for half a century without exciting a spirit of vain exaltation should serve to impress upon us the great principles from which they have sprung. Constant and direct supervision by the people over every public measure, strict forbearance on the part of government from exercising any doubtful or disputed powder, powers, and a cautious abstinence from all interference which concerns which properly belong and are best left to state regulations and individual enterprise. Certainly, the government of the United States is a limited government, and so is every state government a limited government. With us, this idea of limitations spreads through every form of administration, general, state, and municipal, and rests on the great distinguishing principle of the recognition of the rights of man. The ancient republics absorbed the individual in the state, prescribed his religion, and controlled his activity. The American system rests on the assertion of the equal rights of every man to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to freedom of conscience, to the culture and exercise of all his faculties. As a consequence, the state government is limited, as to the general government in, in the interest of the union, as to the individual citizen in the interest of freedom. When we consider that this government is charged with the external mutual relations only of these states, that the states themselves has principal care of our persons, our property, and our reputation, constituting the great field of human concerns, we may well doubt whether our organization is not too complicated, too expensive, whether offices and officers have not been multiplied unnecessarily and sometimes injuriously to the service that they were meant to promote. Among those who are dependent on executive discretion, I have begun the, re the reduction of what was deemed unnecessary. The expenses of diplomacy, a, a diplomatic agency, excuse me, have been considerably diminished. 
The inspectors of Internal Revenue who were found to obstruct the accountability of the institution have been discontinued. Several agencies created by executive authorities or salaries fixed by that also have been suppressed and should suggest the expediency of regulating that power by law so as to subject, subject exercises to legislative inspection and sanction. Other reformations of the same kind will be pursued with that caution which is requisite in removing useless things not to injure what is retained. But the great mass of public offices is established by law and therefore by law alone can be abolished. Should the legislature think it expedient to pass this role in review and try all of its parts by the test of public utility, they may be assured of every aid and light which executive information can yield. Considering the, ter- the general tendency to multiply offices and dependencies and to increase expense to the ultimate lit- limit of burden which a citizen can bear, it behooves us to avail ourselves of every occasion which presents itself for taking off the surcharge. That it may never be seen here that after leaving to labor the smallest portion of its earnings on which it can subsist, government shall, shall itself consume the whole residue of what it was instituted to guard. The policy of the federal government in extinguishing as rapidly as possible the national debt and subsequently in resisting every temptation to create a new one deserves to be regarded in the same favorable light. Among the many objections to a national debt, the certain tendency of public securities to concentrate ultimately in the coffers of foreign stockholders is one one which is everyday gathering strength. Already have the resources of many of the states and the future industry of of their citizens been indefinitely mortgaged to the subjects of European governments to the amount of 12 millions annually to pay the constantly accruing interest on borrowed money, a sum exceeding half the ordinary revenues of the whole United States. The pretext which this relation affords to foreigners to scrutinize the management of our domestic affairs, if not actually to intermeddle with them, presents a subject for earnest attention, not to say of serious alarm. Fortunately, the federal government, with the exception of an obligation entered into in behalf of the District of Columbia, which must soon be discharged, is wholly exempt from any such embarrassment. It is also, as is believed, the only government which, having fully and faithfully paid all its creditors, has also relieved itself entirely from debt. To maintain a distinction so desirable and so honorable to our national character should be an object of earnest solicitude. Never should a free people if it be possible to avoid it, expose themselves to the necessity of having to treat of the peace, the honor, or the safety of the republic with the government of foreign creditors, who, however well disposed they may be to cultivate with us in general friend relations, are nevertheless by the law of their own condition made hostile to the success and permanency of political institutions like ours. Most Most humiliating may be the embarrassments consequent upon such a condition. Another objection, scarcely less formidable, to the commencement of a new debt is its inevitable tendency to increase the magnitude and foster national extravagance. He has been an unprofitable observer of events who needs at this day to be admonished of the difficulties which, which a government habitually dependent on loans to sustain its ordinary expenditures has to encounter in resisting the influences constantly exerted in favor of additional loans by capitalists who enrich themselves by government securities for amounts much exceeding the money they actually advance a prolific source of individual aggrandizement in all borrowing countries, by stockholders who seek their gains in the rise and fall of public stocks, and by the selfish opportunities of applicants for appropriations for works avowedly for the accommodation of the public, but the real object of which are too frequently the advancement of private interests. The known necessity, which so many of the states will be under to impose taxes for the payment of the interests on their debts, furnishes an additional and very cogent reason why the federal government should refrain from creating a national debt, 
by which the people would be exposed to double taxation for a similar object. We possess within ourselves ample resources for every emergency, and we be quite sure that our citizens and no future exigency will be unwilling to supply the government with all the means asked for the defense of our country. In time of peace there can, in all, at all events, be no justification for the creation of a permanent debt by the federal government. Its limited range of constitutional duties may certainly, under such circumstances, be performed without such a resort. It has, and it, it has seen, been avoided during four years of greater fiscal difficulties than have existed in a similar period since the adoption of the Constitution, and one so remarkable for the occurrence of extraordinary causes and of expenditures. But to accomplish so desirable an object, two things are indispensable. First, that the action of the federal government be kept within the boundaries prescribed by its founders. And secondly, that all appropriations for objects admitted to be constitutional and the expenditure to them also be subjected to a standard of rigid but well-considered and practical economy. The first depends chiefly on the people themselves, the opinions they form of the true construction of the Constitution and the confidence they repose in the political sentiments of those they select as their representatives in the federal legislature. The second rests upon the fidelity with which with their more immediate representatives and other public functionaries discharge the trust committed to them. The duty of economizing the expenses of the public serves, service is admitted on all hands, yet there are few subjects upon which there exists a wider difference of opinion than is constantly manifested in regard to the fidelity with which the duty is discharged. Neither diversity of sentiment nor even mutual recriminations upon a point in respect to which the public mind is so justly sensitive can well be entirely avoided, and less so at periods of great political excitement. An intelligent people, however, seldom fail to arrive in the end at the correct conclusions in such a matter. Practical economy and the management of public affairs can have no adverse influence to contend with more powerful than a large surplus revenue, and the unusually large appropriations for this year may, without doubt, independently of the extraordinary requisitions for the public service growing out of the state of our Indian relations, be in no inconsiderable degree trace of this source. The sudden and rapid distribution of large surplus then in the Treasury, and the equal sudden and unprecedentedly severe re uh, revulsion in the commerce and business of the country, pointing with unerring certainty to a great and protracted reduction of the revenue, strengthen the propriety of the earliest practicable reduction of the public expenditures. In my opinion, the government can do more to remedy the economic ills of the people by a, by a system of rigid economy and public expenditure than can be accomplished through the, any other action. The cost of our national and local governments combined now stand into some close to $100 for each inhabitant of the land. A little less than one-third of this is represented by national expenditure, and a little more than two-thirds by local expenditure. It is an ominous fact that only the national government is reducing its debt. Others are increasing theirs at about $1 billion each year. The depression that overtook business, the disaster experience in agriculture, the lack of employment and the terrific shrinkage, and all values which our country experienced in a most acute form in this year resulted in no small measure from the prohibitive taxes which were le then levied on all productive effort. The establishment of a system of, of drastic econo economy and public expenditure, which has enabled us to pay off about one-fifth of the national debt since this year and almost cut in two the national tax burden since this year, has been one of the main causes in reestablishing re a prosperity which has come to include within its benefits almost every one of our inhabitants. Economy reaches everyone. It carries a blessing to everybody. The fallacy of the claim that the costs of the, of the government are borne by the rich and those who make a direct contribution to the national treasury can not be too often exposed. No system has been devised, I do not think any system could be devised, under which any person living the, in this country could escape being affected by the cost of our government. It has 
a direct effect both upon the rate and, pro and the purchasing power of wages. It is felt in the price of those prime necessities of existence, food, clothing, fuel, and shelter. It would appear to be elementary that the more the government expends, the more it must require every producer to contribute out of his production to the public treasury, and the less he will have for his own benefit. The continuing costs of public administration can be met in only one way, by the work of the people. The higher they become, the more the people must work for the government. The less they are, the more the people can work for themselves. There are perhaps few men who can, for any great length of time, enjoy office and power without being more or less under the influence of feelings unfavorable to faithful discharge of their public duties. Their integrity may be proof against improper considerations immediately addressing, addressed to themselves, but they are apt to acquire a habit of looking with indifference upon the public interests and of tolerating conduct from which an unpracticed man would revolt. Office is considered as a species of property, and government rather as a means of promoting individual interests than as an instrument created solely for the service of the people. Corruption in some and, and others, a perversion of correct feelings and principles, divert government from its legitimate ends and make it an engine for the support of the few at the expense of the many. The duties of all public officers are, or at least admit of being made, so plain and simple that men of intelligence may readily qualify themselves for their performance. And I cannot believe that the more is lost by the long continuance of men in office than is generally to be gained by their experience. I submit, therefore, to, you, your, to your consideration whether the efficiency of the government or the yeah, efficiency of the government would not be promoted in official industry and integrity better secured by a general extension of the law which limits appointments to four years. In a country where offices are created solely for the benefit of the people, no one man has any more intrinsic right to official station than another. Offices are not established to give support to particular men at the public expense. No individual wrong is therefore done by removal, since neither appointment to nor continuance in office is a matter of right. The incumbent became an officer with a view to public benefits, and when those require his removal, they are not to be sacrificed to private interest. It is the people, and they alone, who have a right to complain when a bad officer is substituted for a good one. He who is removed has the same means of obtaining a living that are enjoyed by the millions who never held office. The proposed limitation would destroy the idea of property now so generally connected with official station, and although individual distress may be sometimes produced, it would, by promoting that rotation which constitutes a leading principle in the Republican creed, give healthful action to the system. With the rapid increase of immigration to our shores and the uh, faculties of modern travel, abuses of the general privileges afforded by our naturalization laws call for their careful revision. The easy and unguarded manner in which certifications of American citizenship can now be obtained has induced a class, unfortunately large, to avail themselves of the opportunity to become absolved from allegiance to their native land, and yet by a foreign resistance residence to escape any just duty and contribution of service to the country of their proposed adoption. Thus, while evading the duties of citizenship to the United States, they may make prompt claim for its national protection and demand its intervention in their behalf. International complications of a serious nature arise, and the, con and the correspondence of the State Department discloses the great number of complexity of the questions which have thus been raised. Our laws regulating the issue of passports should be carefully revised by the institution of a Central Bureau of Registration at the Capitol is again strongly recommended. By this means, full particulars of each case of naturalization in the United States will be secured and properly indexed and recorded, and thus many cases of spurious citizenship will be detected and unjust responsibilities would be avoided. We are peculiarly subject, peculiarly subject in our great ports to spread the inf of infectious diseases by re reason of the fact that unre unrestricted immigration brings to us 
out of European cities and the overcrowded steerages of great steamships a large number of persons whose surroundings make them the easy victims of the plague. This consideration, as well as those affecting the political, moral, and industrial interests of our country, leads me to renew the suggestion that administration to our country and to the high privileges of citizenship should be more restricted and more careful. We have, I think, a right and a duty and owe a duty to our own people, and especially to our own working people, not only to keep out the vicious, the ignorant, the civil disturber, the pauper, and the contract laborer, but to check the great flow of immigration now coming by further limitations. We are at peace with all the other nations of the world and seek to maintain our cherished relations of amity with them. During the past year, we have been blessed by a kind providence with an abundance of the fruits of the earth. And although the destroying angel for a time visited extensive portions of our territory with the ravages of a, of a dreadful pestilence, yet the Almighty has at length denied to stay his hand and to restore the inestimable blessings of general health to a people who have acknowledged his power, appreciated his wrath, and implored his merciful protection. While enjoying the benefits of amicable intercourse with foreign nations, we have not been insensitive to the distractions and wars which have prevailed uh, in other quarters of the world. It is a proper theme of thanksgiving to him who rules the destinies of nations that we've been able to maintain amidst all the contests an independent and neutral position toward all belligerent powers. Our goal has always been to aid in the spiritual, moral, and material strength of our nation. I believe we have done this, but it is a process that must never end. Let us pray that leaders of both the near and distant future will be able to keep the nation strong and at peace, that they will advance the well-being of all our people, that they will lead us to still higher moral standards, and that in achieving these goals, they will maintain a reasonable balance between private and governmental responsibility. Now, course, you might have guessed I didn't write that, but presidents did. Martin Van Buren, 1838, Andrew Johnson, 1865, Thomas Jefferson, 1801, Martin Van Buren, 1840, Calvin Coolidge, 1924, Andrew Jackson, 1829, Grover Cleveland, 1888, Benjamin Harrison, 1892, Zachary Taylor, 1849, and Dwight Eisenhower, 1961. If you look at what I just read to you, there are several themes in that particular State of the Union or annual message could have been written and sent to the Congress. One is international peace, something Trump did talk about. But international peace is essential for a prosperous people. Two, domestic economy. And what I mean by that, not spending a lot of money and not incurring debt, which is what Martin Van Buren was talking about. We got we have a time when Martin Van Buren wrote that there was no national debt. It was didn't exist. So we had a time we didn't have it, and of course he's saying the United States need to keep that. Calvin Coolidge, economy of expenditures, lower taxes. He talks about the depression of nineteen twenty and twenty one, how they solved that problem by cutting spending and cutting taxes. Uh, Andrew Jackson advocating term limits. Uh, in 1829, saying, look, we got people that are loafing on the government. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, talking about eliminating offices that are redundant. We just had a government shutdown with non-essential workers. Should we not, I mean, would Thomas Jefferson say, well, if they're non-essential, shouldn't we just get rid of them? Uh, so this is an important consideration, one which we need to explore. And then, of course, Eisenhower saying at the end, uh, also immigration, uh, uh, growth Cleveland and Benjamin Harrison talking about immigration, which Trump talked about. 
trying to limit immigration because it can cause problems for our workers, for our health, for our security. These, this is not a new theme. This is something both the Democrat and Republicans said in 1888 and 1892. And Taylor, of course, pointing out that we want peace with all, all nations. And Eisenhower saying we have a responsibility from government, for, for the government, to ensure that we keep these prosperous times going. Low taxes, low debt, low spending, foreign peace. These are the things that make a prosperous people, not the other way around. Government doesn't make you prosperous by spending money or taxing to excess or borrowing money or going to foreign wars. Where are the American people safe in that? Where are the American people safe by allowing uh, large numbers of, uh, of people to come into the United States and take jobs and all the other things that Trump was right about talking about? Uh, there's, of course... Legal immigration is one thing. Illegal immigration is the other. And we can talk about that. I've already done this on this podcast about, you know, what, what is the general government responsible for that or not. But we can talk about immigration is, is a problem when you have large numbers of people coming in the United States um, and how that's going to affect the character of the United States, jobs, the economy, uh, public services, all those things. I mean, these are all serious issues that we just kind of we, they, we talk it up to politics because we need votes. or We don't need votes. These are serious considerations considerations, disease. These, I mean, Cleveland and Harrison both pointed this out. We've got disease coming in the United States. We need to stop this. Uh, so I think it's important that we go back and we look at these old State of the Union addresses or annual messages. That's what these were. Uh, the, the Eisenhower part is the State of the Union, but all the others are annual messages because the presidents actually had real things to say. It wasn't just some vapid uh, you know, uh, moment in the sun, moment on the camera, and you could point out the idiots and the Congress. These were real things. Uh, and, of course, real issues. And these were people that had re- a real understanding of the Constitution. And so to go back and read those is an eye-opener, um, which is why I wanted to put some of these together and make it like a speech and say, I mean, this is not crazy stuff. These are what presidents of the United States have said before. So Trump, in saying some of the things he said, is not out in left field. Other presidents, in fact, from the founding generation, talked about peace, then the middle of the 19th century peace, and the 20th century peace. These were important things. Economy, that's in the 19th and 20th century. Um, It's important to understand the continuity in those things, and that those who don't want them, those who want foreign wars, those that want to spend and spend and spend and borrow and borrow and borrow, and tax, that's not the American way. It never has been. And if the American public understood that, they wouldn't vote for any of these fools. So I hope you enjoyed this real State of the Union address. Go back and you go back and look at Trump's and compare. They're vastly different. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClain Show.